Well, good morning, church. We have not met, um, but uh, allow me to introduce myself briefly. Uh, my name is Eric Grosinger. I am one of the pastors that has the opportunity to serve at Faith Bible Church in Cedar Rapids. Uh, I've been there for about seven and a half years, and uh, it's an honor to be with you this morning. It's, it's been an encouragement already just to be able to worship with you, to uh, meet many of you, and to just celebrate and to worship the Lord together. Uh, and so I bring greetings to you from Pastor Steve uh, at, uh, at Faith Bible, and uh, know that we have a kindred spirit with one another. And so it's an honor and a joy to be here today. Uh, as we jump in, I want to ask if we just pray for God to bless our time in his word and that he would be present uh, and that we would be able to respond to him. So join me as I pray and we jump into God's word this morning. Father God, we have already uh, been worshiping you through our words, through our music this morning. And Father, you are the only one who is worthy of worship. And so we, we give you all that praise and all that glory and all that honor. We're grateful for the opportunity that we have to be together here today, freely to gather, to worship, to encourage one another, and to hear from your word. So Father, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds to what you want to teach us. pray that your spirit would be at work um, convicting us and guiding us as we move from this place into our everyday lives. We just pray all this in your name. Amen. Well, growing up, uh, I never claimed to be a poet, nor do I have, still have any gifts or experience in being one. But if you're one who likes poetry, or maybe you've studied poetry yourself, the name Henry Wadsworth Longfellow is probably on that list. Longfellow was no doubt one of the prominent poets and Americans of his day. You might be familiar with some of his work that he's written. Uh, Paul Revere's Ride is one example. But did you know that he also wrote a very well-known Christmas poem called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day? Later it was put to music and we sing it routinely every year around Christmas time. Maybe you sung it yourself. I'm going to spare you. Uh, me singing it today. I don't want to be booed off the stage. Uh, but let me read to you the, the first verse of this song. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the world's repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Well, although there were actually seven stanzas to that poem, that Longfellow wrote, what may be lesser known is that when he originally wrote that poem and when that was put to music, three of the middle stanzas were actually removed. And many of them are still not sung today. Well, Longfellow wrote that poem on Christmas Day in 1863. But the backstory of that poem started actually a few years prior to that. Back in 1861, Longfellow lost his second wife of 18 years due to an accidental fire in their home. His wife's dress caught on fire and they weren't able to extinguish it quickly enough. And as a result of that, Longfellow was so grieved, he pulled himself back from the public eye to deal with his grief and the loss for the next year. And he really struggled through that loss. In fact, on Christmas Day, 
1862, Longfellow wrote this in his journal. A Merry Christmas, says the children, but there is no more for me. Just a few months later, after he wrote that, in the March of 1863, in the height of the Civil War, he learned that his son Charlie had secretly run off to enlist in the Union Army. Fight for his country, much to his father's dismay and disapproval. Charlie was later shot in the battle, almost paralyzed, and was returned home to be cared for by his father and to be nursed on a long journey back to health. And it was during those days and those trying experiences as a single father that Longfellow wrote this poem as he heard the Christmas bells tolling outside of his window. And although you might be familiar with many of the stanzas, I want to share with you some of the words from the stanzas that we don't often hear. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Well, Henry just kind of took a little bit of a left turn there. Now, why would I choose to introduce our time together by sharing with you the backstory of this great poem and this poet? Well, maybe you've never had a Longfellow Christmas but I think we've all personally lived through some Longfellow times, haven't we? We've had quite a few challenging years as of late. We've weathered a lot. We've been, we've been stretched and pulled and challenged in ways that we couldn't even imagine. I think it's safe to say we've all been impacted by the effects of the global pandemic that started back in 2020. Individually, our Normal routines, our, our, our patterns of life have been disrupted, they've been changed, activities were canceled and postponed, and new procedures and checks got put into place, some which are still in place. The list goes on. Oh, but wait, there's more. The summer of 2020 in August, uh, if, if, if you were any indicator like we were in Cedar Rapids, uh, as we were trying to figure out the pandemic and, and how to live, we were greeted by a derecho, which left an incredible amount of damage and loss and devastation. But on a greater level as a nation, over the last few years, we've seen expressions of, of ethnic tensions and, and, and unrest rise and, and riots and wars among different people groups and countries and challenges with employment and, and finances and political issues and disagreements Natural disasters, damage. The world around us has changed. And it's impacted us in pretty significant ways. And for some of us, we may be moving through life with perhaps a bit more of a challenge in seeing the clarity in the midst of all the chaos. I'm also certain that you're able to think of those in your own web of relationships who have walked or, or maybe are currently walking through some challenging and dark situations. And that is a very real and difficult journey to be on. But despite all that is happening around us, the question I want to pose to us today is this. 
how will you and I choose to respond? And specifically, as those of us who identify as Christ followers, believers in the truth of who Jesus is, how should our lives be marked as we go through the stressful, the chaotic, and the challenging times that we're in? How do we bring clarity through the chaos? Well, I want to answer this question by looking at Colossians chapter 3 this morning. So I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, uh, please open those up there and we're going to focus on that text together. Colossians 3, starting in verse 1 to 16. Well, just by way of introduction, uh, Colossians is viewed by many perhaps as the most Christ-centric book in Scripture. It's easy to see why when you begin to understand what Paul is looking to communicate through this letter. The Apostle Paul, he's writing this book, this letter, uh, to a body of believers at the church in Colossae with the primary purpose of communicating to them the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus and the impact it should have on their lives. You see this theme of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ scattered all around these four chapters and and these 95 verses, most notably in chapters 1 and 2, and specifically in verses 18 to 20 of chapter 1. And I want to encourage you to maybe uh, dig into that and and just mine all of the incredible truth of of those two uh, supremacy and sufficiency in there. But Paul is communicating and reminding his believers of who Jesus is, his supremacy and his authority, and that because of his death, his life, and his resurrection, Jesus is 100% sufficient for all that we need spiritually in our lives, both now, but also in the life to come. But that supremacy and sufficiency should also have an impact on how we choose to live our lives right now even if we're living through a worldwide pandemic or any other challenge that we face. See, Paul was concerned about some false teaching that was starting to enter the church of Colossae. And specifically, the the teachings that were going on there, they were seeking to discredit and to devalue Jesus, both of who he was, but also what he did. During that time period that Paul wrote this letter, there's various teachers and they were, they were going in and they were teaching this doctrine which said that believing in Jesus was okay, but he wasn't God. And because he wasn't, something else needed to be added to that in order to attain salvation. Well, not only were those who were hearing this false message confused and, and, and being misled, but the message of the true gospel was being discredited. So Paul, in the typical style of the letters that he would write, he would spend the first half of his letter focusing on the theology and and the message and the understanding of what the gospel is and laying out why Christ is supreme and sufficient. But then in the later part of his letters, he bridges over into the application of that doctrine and the impact that that should have in one's life. And that is where I want to pick up in the first four verses of Colossians chapter 3. So read with me Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's just stop right there for a moment. Well, these first four verses are significant to see as making that bridge from doctrine to application. Because if we don't acknowledge what Paul is communicating here in these first four verses and, and reminding us of, we misunderstand what the true gospel is. We begin to, to read the rest of these verses in, this, in these chapters in this book as, as just a list of things that I must do in order to please God. It becomes a list of behavioral modification techniques, if you will, and that we would use to try to earn our salvation. And we start with the question, well, what must I do? Instead, Paul wants to remind us in these first four verses of what God has already done. Verse 1, Paul says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Paul is reminding his readers here of their new identity, of who they are and the position that they have in Christ. Why? Because of the work that Christ has already done in them. They've been raised with Christ. And their life is now hidden with Christ in God. And this new identity comes with a new calling and a new purpose. And that is to set their hearts on things above. And verse 2, to set their minds on things above. Maybe one way we could summarize this would, would be to say that we as believers are called not to sit and soak in the present, but to seek and to set our focus on Christ. We as believers are called not to sit and soak, but to seek and to set our focus on Christ. Well, why does Paul mention two different times that we're called to set our hearts and our minds on things above? Well, maybe it's to underscore the, and emphasize the importance of this command to seek and to set. But more importantly, I think it's this, because that's where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Sitting at the right hand communicates a position of honor and a position of authority. And so we set our minds on things above, on Christ. We focus on who he is. Again, Paul draws on that supremacy and sufficiency of Christ here. Because Christ is supreme over all things, he is all I need in this life and in the life to come. My gaze is fixed solely on him. You know, that word seek actually means to orient your will to a specific direction toward something. In other words, no matter what is happening around me, I know I always have the choice to decide what I'm going to pursue and what I'm going to focus on. And I'm going to pursue Christ and go all in. doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be easy doesn't necessarily mean that there's not going to be any tension or struggle, but it is a command given by God for us to follow with effort and intention. Because where we set our focus determines our movement. A number of years ago, uh, when I lived in the Chicagoland area, I took a group of college students down to a week-long conference in Atlanta, Georgia, over Christmas break. And Remember, we all met at the church, and we put our luggage in the vans, and we 
had our GPS unit, the kind at that point when you could put them on the dashboard or, or in the front of your car. And uh, we plugged it in and uh, headed on the wrong road trip down to Atlanta. And uh, we were hitting the interstates. And I remember we uh, were having a really good time in the vans and we were looking forward to getting down to Atlanta. We were going to check into our hotel and maybe grab a quick bite to eat before we headed over for the opening session on that first night. Well, we had just gone through the Nashville, Tennessee area, and I began to hear some snickering and a little chatter by a couple guys in the back of the van. And they had their cell phones with them and were, uh, I assumed, talking to one another or, or maybe playing a game back and forth or comparing their scores or, or maybe they're checking out the sports score of their latest team and, and having some conversation about it. So I didn't focus much on it and just kept on driving and Eventually, uh, I began to really notice a change in the scenery. Um, and I'd, we had driven most of the interstate to that point on our trip. And, and I noticed just outside of Nashville, on the south side, as we were continuing our journey south, it was becoming really pristine. Uh, from a four-lane highway, we were kind of down to a two-lane highway and more rolling hills and just a beautiful terrain around us, which was very different from, from the early part of the trip. Well, we eventually stopped uh, at a gas station to fuel up and grab a couple snacks. And, and again, I noticed these two guys from the back, they were, they were kind of talking and, and they grabbed one of our co-leaders who was on that trip with us and mentioned something to him. And well, that co-leader then came over and, and said, hey, Eric, uh, the, the guys were actually tracking your uh, direction on Google Maps on their phones. And they're trying to figure out um, why were we headed this direction when Google Maps had us going that direction? And I said, well, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was focusing on the GPS, right? Yeah, it was where it was sent, telling me to go. But it turned out that that focus was in the wrong direction. And as a result, it took us two hours to get back onto the route that we were supposed to go on and get ourselves to Atlanta. Our focus determines our movement. And in this case, my focus was on the GPS system, right? Later putting that GPS system into the trash. Um, but my focus determined the path of our direction. And the same thing is true in our lives, isn't it? Our focus determines our movement. And Paul is strongly commanding us to seek, to orient our will toward the things above and to focus on Christ. Did you notice how many times Christ is mentioned in these first four verses of chapter three? Verse one, you have been raised with Christ. Another one, verse one, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Verse three, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. In God. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears. Four different times Paul references Christ, 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 Christ. It's all about Him. And Paul's saying, hey, as your focus, as you focus your heart and your mind on Christ, Christ who has raised you up from the dead, has given you a new life, a new purpose, and a new identity, and a new calling, your life is going to be markedly different. 
No longer are you going to sit and soak in the present world and the situations that you're in, but you've given the invitation and the calling to seek and to set your gaze on him. Learning how he wants you to live. So let me ask you this. What are you allowing your heart and your mind to focus on right now? What is it that your heart and mind are seeking after? For some of us, maybe situations that are happening in the world right now or in your own life have have put you in an unhealthy state of fear and anxiety. As you listen or as you read the daily news, you find yourself sitting too much in the informational overload that is coming into us. And it's affected where your heart and your mind are focused. Maybe it's other things. You know, it's so easy for us to get sidetracked, to, to, to recalculate it from where our focus is meant to be. Like I was in my van ride. You know, for me, worry and anxiety is one area that I have uh, battled a lot in my mind. Uh, beginning back in middle school, high school, I really began to find myself worrying about the unknown. Uh, having anxiety about what may or may not happen or, or, uh, or, or how the situation is going to work out. Well, what if it doesn't work out? What am I going to do in my future? How is this person going to respond to something that I do or say? And that worry and that anxiety, it held my mind captive for a long time. Some of those worries and those fears, they kept coming back over and over and over again. School, family, job, relationships, future plans, so on and so on. But I began to have some godly friends and mentors who began to speak into my life and and begin to challenge my thinking and the, the root issues of some of those situations and what was causing that worry to creep up. At the same time, I began to study and to focus on verses like these from Colossians chapter 3 or, or, or I think of Romans 12 that challenges me to, to be transformed by the renewing of my mind or, or Matthew 6 where we're called not to worry about things, right? Or, or Philippians 4, 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, specifically in college, I remember typing these verses uh, in my computer and printing them out or, or writing them on little index cards. And, and I would stick them on my wall or in the bathroom or in my door or really behind and beside my bed. So every time I would go to bed, before I would hit my head on the pillow, I would, I would read those verses, and as soon as I woke up in the morning, I would read them again. And little by little, they began to become ingrained in me and to reorient my mind on the things above. Little by little, seeking after God's word on a continual and consistent basis has helped me maintain my focus on things above. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. I still struggle at times. Sometimes I'm waking up at one or two or three in the morning and I have an anxious thought or a worry, right? But because I've had those verses so close to me and I've used them in the past, I have a tool at my disposal and I have a tool that I can begin to use to pull my focus back and to fix my mind, to set my mind once again on the things of Christ.
Why do I share that with you? It's because I've seen how God's word is powerful and true. And it's brought me a perspective and a peace that I've needed to be reminded of. And one that I hope can serve you as well. Is it any surprise that Paul says later on in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you are called to peace. Because that's exactly what I've received. And I've sought to set my mind and my heart on things above. So I ask you again, as, as a believer in Jesus, what are you allowing your heart and your mind to focus on right now? What is it that your heart and your mind are seeking after? Is it the things of this world that you believe are going to provide you with that sense of comfort and happiness? Your possessions, our, our status, or our reputation in the eyes of other people, our jobs, relationships? Are we looking for comfort and peace in our stock portfolios, our retirement plans? None of those things are going to provide a lasting peace and comfort in our lives. Only a personal and permanent relationship with the God of the universe who knows you and knows me and sees us for who we are can provide that peace and comfort that we're looking for. I want to encourage you to spend some time reflecting on these verses and, and maybe there's an area that, that uh, the Lord would have prompting you that you can focus and trust him more in. Because where we set our focus determines our movement. Well, Paul moves on in this passage and he begins to describe how someone who has chosen to seek and to set their focus on Christ should now live. And he begins to outline the areas that are going to require putting some things to death or, or taking some things off and putting some other things on. You know, if we're honest, many times we just want to focus on changing our behavior and not think about changing our hearts and changing our minds, right? We think, well, if, if I do this, then I will change who I am. And God is saying, no, I've changed who you are so that your behavior will change. Look at what Paul says, starting in verse five. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of your creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Well, there's a lot Paul is talking about in these verses, and the bottom line of what we need to understand here is this. Once we decide where we are going, that now decides what we will be wearing. Once we decide where we are going, that now decides what we will be wearing. You know, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to lead a few wilderness backpacking trips with some students. We've taken students uh, to Kentucky and to Montana specifically, and uh, it's been a really fun treat for me to watch students um, spend 
four days and three nights backpacking in some of our national parks and national forests. Everything that we needed, we had to take with us from sleeping gear and our tents to our food, to our cooking supplies, even to our own personal things, of course. We would hike approximately seven to eight miles every day. We'd find a spot to set up our camp. We'd cook our meals. We'd host our team time and our Bible study discussions and then head off to bed only to wake up the next morning, pack up our site and hike another seven, eight miles and do it all again. You know, it was a pretty incredible adventure for these students. And we have found that as you hike along the trail, it provides an incredible opportunity for some pretty in-depth spiritual discussions and, and discipleship, uh, not to mention leadership development and some how to care for your team members and to encourage and support one another. But I can remember uh, prepping for these experiences with these students. The students were briefed on what they should expect when they're in the wilderness in terms of uh, the length of time we would hike and um, the food that they're supposed to bring. And there weren't any showers. There's no modern plumbing. And we're having MRE type of food for, for meals. And, and their eyes would just open so wide and their jaws would drop uh, when we told them all those details. But we also told them that all of their belongings, including their sleeping mat or sleeping bag or their pillow, whatever it was, all had to fit inside a 30-pound backpack that they had to carry. That was a little uh, concerning for them, right? It was incredible to see the struggle that students had in deciding what do you take and what do you leave. And, uh, you know, it's apparent you prepare for an event or a a trip such as this, an adventure, and and there's certain gear that you need to have, and and we provided them with that. And they're told they need to have adequate clothing to handle the various weather conditions you're going to encounter. In the mornings, it's a little bit more cool and maybe a little damp and maybe a little breezy. In the afternoon, it's going to be hot and humid and, and pretty steamy. But lastly, we told the students that they were not allowed to bring any scented items. No lotions, no soaps, no shampoos, no deodorant. No deodorant? All the guys are like, woohoo! We're like, all right, put your arms down. Um, and other guys were like, wait, we're supposed to be wearing deodorant this whole time? Um, and, uh, and we're like, no deodorant. The girls on the trip did not quite share the excitement that many of the guys did. They were like, uh, are you serious? No deodorant? Uh, I don't know how this is going to work. Well, <clears throat> one rule in the backcountry wilderness as you are hiking around is that you can have no scented items of any kind. Because a scent of any item of any nature could be picked up miles away by a wild animal i.e. bears, and they will sniff you out and come and have you for their next lunch. And so we had to clarify and make sure they understood that there was no scented items. What those students learned in that moment is once they found out where they were going, it determined what they're going to be wearing or not. (laughs) Flip-flops and sandals, not going to cut it. When you're hiking in the woods, you need a good, sturdy pair of hiking boots. Six sets of clothes, a hairdryer, curling iron, deodorant, no, no, and no. (laughs) Where you're going determines what you will be wearing. 
And in the same way, Paul uses this next section by giving us a list of different items that believers are called to leave out of their backpacks or, or to put to death or to take off. Why? Because those things no longer define who we are. Galatians 2.20 says that I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. These things used to describe the actions that we would take. But remember in verse three, our old selves have died and we have been given a new life that is now hidden in God. We're not going to dive into all these sins in detail, but, but this first list of sins that Paul describes in verse five primarily deals with sensual sins. Sexually related sins that occur outside the bounds of marriage as God's defined it. And what's interesting in this list is how Paul methodically moves from outward actions to internal motivation. Do you see that? The outward actions of sexual immorality and purity, they wreak havoc and they destroy the lives of everyone that's involved. But those external actions are driven by the internal passions of lust and evil desires for things that are not ours to have. And even those passions and lusts are rooted in a mindset that is selfish and greedy and only desires to worship themselves and what they want and not what's best for other people or what's even eternal. And again, it's like Paul's giving us another example of how our heart and our mental focus determines our movement. Do you see that? Paul says, you used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. But now as a follower of Christ, your focus and your direction is set. And it's time to put those things to death. In verse eight, Paul begins a second list. But interestingly, this one focuses more on our relationships with other people. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. Notice in this list, though, Paul draws the connections first from an internal mindset and then moves toward an external reality. So may start by having some internal anger or frustration with somebody, right? And, and if that's left unchecked, it can develop and begin to express itself externally as visible anger, rage, even malice, right? It's intent to cause harm or pain to somebody else. And before you know it, it's gonna, you're going to begin to use words that slander somebody else talk behind their backs or categorize them in ways that are unhealthy. And if it's left unchecked, it can even lead to filthy language coming out of your lips. In both of these lists, Paul is wanting to, us to see the importance of where is your heart focused. Those sins are rooted in selfishness. Regarding that first list, it's as if you're saying, I want something, even though it isn't mine, Therefore, I'm going to do whatever I can and whatever it takes to get it for myself. And the second list, I don't like you. I don't like something you've done to me and I'm upset. Therefore, I'm going to do whatever I can to harm you and that it'll help me. And Paul's like, no, <laughs> not at all. You are being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator, verse 10. So live in that way. What would it look like Instead of a response of anger or, or judgment or ridicule toward your coworker, your, your friend or a family member based on something that happened, you instead paused and you responded in a manner that expressed grace, 
love, humility you have because of Christ? What would it look like if we put on what Paul describes for us in verses 12 to 15? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you have his grievance with, against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. Those are the clothes that we're called to put on. So let's walk that way. Where you are going determines what you will be wearing. And if we're committing ourselves to seeking and to setting our focus on Christ, then it's essential that we put on the characteristics and the qualities that reflect that. Not as a way to earn his love, not as a way for his approval, but as a response to the love and the approval that we've already received through Christ. How do we do it? Verse 16, I think, gives us the answer. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Isn't that a great verse? Let the word and the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Soak in God's word on your own and with a body of believers. Go on walks, meditate on his word, find time to sit and to read a section of scripture completely uninterrupted. Turn off your phone, silence the distractions. Let the truth of what is being said begin to transform and lead you. Man, may I, can I encourage you a little bit? Maybe you want to take these two lists that Paul gives us in that previous section and, and use them as a prayer prompt through these characteristics of the old and the new. Ask God to show you, what do I need to put to death from this list? What, what do I need to put on from this list? Ask God for the strength to obey. He longs to hear from you. He longs to, to commune with you. What an incredible opportunity we have to approach the throne. But, you know, reading scripture, praying isn't just something that we do on our own, right? There's a benefit, there's a blessing to talking about what God is teaching you and to be able to pray with one another in community, which is why I so love being gathered as the body of believers. Become connected with one another, encourage one another, and to spur one another on with what God is teaching you. Pray for one another. We need each other. And God has designed us in a unique way where we can help each other in this journey of seeking and, and setting our hearts and our minds on Christ. How do we get clarity through the chaos? We seek and set our focus on Christ. And as a result, we take off and we put on what we're called to wear. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, when we allow God's word to transform us to be more and more like his son, to live differently in the midst of the chaos. You know, Henry Wadworth Longfellow's poem turned a little dark. And, and, and I shared that last stanza with you. Um, but as he continued writing that poem, he realized that those Christmas bells that he was hearing out his window didn't stop. There may have been difficulty and trials and chaos all around in Longfellow's life, but 
he noticed that the bells pressed on and he closed with his final stanza in these words. Then rang the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail and the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. What's Longfellow's conclusion? When he set his focus on the things of this world and the situations that were occurring around him, he was left with nothing but fear and worry and confusion. And that led him to a deeper longing and searching for something deeper. But when he fixed his eyes upward, he was reminded of the truth that God is not dead. He will prevail. And although Longfellow, to the best of my knowledge, had a different spiritual belief than we do, he was correct in saying that right will prevail. Hope is present in the midst of the chaos if we choose to seek and to set our focus on him. So I want to encourage us today. There's so much chaos and challenge in our world. I want to encourage you to take these words from Colossians 3 to heart. And let's commit to seeking and setting our eyes on the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ for our lives and to live in a way that reflects that. We can have clarity in the chaos. And it's found through that relationship that we can have in Jesus. Man, if you're here today and, and you're searching for that peace and that hope that is deep and that won't fail, I want to encourage you to consider the person of Jesus. Because he's the reason why we're here. He's the reason why we gather every Sunday morning. He came to this earth as a reflection of his love that he has for us so that we could be in a right relationship with him. But it starts by recognizing that we've sinned and sin is anything that we think, say, or do that is contrary to God and his character, the commands that he has for us. We've all fallen short of that expectation and there's nothing that we can do to change that or to earn back that relationship with God. But because of his great love for us, Jesus came to this earth as a baby. And later on, as he grew up, he took on the punishment himself for our sin. And he died on the cross in our place. And as a result, he offers us that free gift of of salvation, of forgiveness and eternal life. But we have to receive that. It's a free gift. We have to put our trust in what he's done. And if you have questions about that, I want to talk to someone more. I'd love to encourage to, you to meet with one of the elders or, or Pastor Brian and, and, and Matt when he returns. But it would be an honor to share more with you about the hope that we can have in Christ. Well, as we prepare to transition to a time of communion this morning, we approach this time remembering that sacrifice, remembering what Christ has done on our behalf. And also remember that that was part of his eternal plan of reconciling and restoring us to himself because we are unable to do that ourselves. He willingly allowed his body to be broken, his blood to be shed so we could be forgiven. Like I said earlier, scripture tells us this isn't something we can do on our own, but only through putting our faith and trust in him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers us. And it's only available by grace through faith. So we want to remember the significance and the importance of that act by taking communion together. 
It's a time when we remember that Christ has done something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. It's a time that we celebrate that through his death, we actually have life. It's a time that we remember because of his supremacy and his sufficiency, we can be with him. If you've made that personal commitment, that decision to follow Christ, we want to encourage you and invite you to participate in communion. You do not have to be a member here at Oak Grove Church to do that. But if you haven't made that personal commitment and that decision, I encourage you to do that today. Taking part in communion does not confer salvation, but it is a time for us to remember the role that Christ has in restoring us to God. So there's four stations. I invite you to come and and participate at your prompting when you are comfortable doing that. And maybe that's individually. Maybe that's as a couple or as a family or a small group. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. As the worship team leads us in our final song, let's seek and set our focus on Christ together. Let me pray for us. Father God, we are so grateful for your salvation that you offer us through Jesus. Thank you for doing something for us that we could not do on our own. Thank you, Father, for uh, allowing our old life to be gone, to take off the old and put on the new, to making us a new creation. Father, as we remember and celebrate this act of communion this morning, pray, Father, that you would renew us, renew our heart, renew our minds to be set and focused on you. In your name we pray. Amen.